The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Dude, it is so hilarious to watch kiddos up on the stage singing, right? I mean, you got all the scenarios kind of happening on stage from kids that gave up long before it kind of began to, you know, anyway, it was amazing. Um, There is something about watching kids interact at Christmas. And um, maybe it's the innocence, maybe it's the sheer joy that they have, the pleasure of something as simple as a piece of chocolate from an advent calendar or a plastic candy cane filled with M&Ms without the concern as some of us have of calories and fat content and sugar. Um, Anybody love those little candy canes filled with M&Ms? Anybody appreciate those at all? Yeah, a couple, a couple of hands. Well, if you did, um, I saw a couple of hands over here. So I, if you raise your hand, why not make sure that you get one? Now, my wife's right here, so I was going to throw them, but she knows that that's not a good idea. So I saw your hand. And Melissa, I also saw your hand. So there you go. You can hand those back over there. Um, I don't know why, but I always liked those. Another thing I always loved was the um, Lifesaver books. Anybody appreciate those? Yeah. Oh, a lot more interest now. Yeah. Oh, because St. Nick's got his sack of goodies, doesn't he? Yeah. Real, real cute. Appreciate that. Well, anyways, um, back in the day, they used to be like all kinds of flavors. Like you'd open it up and have a little story inside. And as you open it, you see there's like butterscotch and lime and fruit, all these different flavors. Um, The ones that we found are all the same flavor, but nonetheless, you get like six packs. So who's up for one? I saw a hand. Yep, right here. I saw that hand and uh, we'll go over here somewhere. So, okay, there you go. And you got a kid next to you. So I'm assuming they're going to want some of that. But anyways, Again, I'm going to go back to what I was saying. There is something about kids at Christmas time, and I think part of it is this. Kids don't carry the same burdens that adults do. In a lot of ways, when you're younger, you know, your biggest stress is like being forced to eat your peas for dinner, you know, and you don't want to eat your vegetables or, um, or falling off your bike and getting a cut on your knee and needing to get it fixed up or, Uh, During the holiday season, maybe it's trying to drop hints about what you want for Christmas. Makes me think of a Christmas story and um, the whole Red Rider carbide action 200 shot range model air rifle with a compass in the stock and a thing that tells time. Last service, we had somebody raise their hand like I was going to give that out, but I'm not (laughs) um, because you'll shoot your eye out, kid. So Um, here's the thing, though. The, The honest truth for all of us is we can relate. Because every one of us has been a kid where we remember back to like some of those great Christmases and certain gatherings in certain places and maybe there was snow, maybe there wasn't. Maybe there was a certain gift, maybe it was about the food, whatever it might have been. We can all relate. We want the nostalgia. We want the feeling of joy and fun and, and whimsy. And I love that word. Bob Goff kind of reintroduced me to this word whimsy when I read a couple of his books the last few years But we want that. And many individuals, including some in this room, I'm sure of it, have lamented, it's not like it used to be. Where did it go? What happened? How do I get that back? And it's that feeling of nostalgia. It's that experience that meant so much. And we think, oh, to be a child again. But we also know that time doesn't work that way, that we don't get to go backwards, that that we don't get to be nine or six or 14 or whatever it is, that once we've reached an age and we move on, we move on. 
But, but here's the thing. I have good news for you that I want you to follow today because it's a little bit of a systematic message, um, starting with Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah, as I mentioned last week, we talked about chapter 7 and, and this uh, verse that talks about a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. You'll give him the name Jesus. But um, when, when you look at Isaiah 9, there's another verse here that I want to take a look at. And it says this, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called. And years ago, we actually did a series called, and he shall be called. But here's some titles that I want you to pay attention to. And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And there's a lot to focus on. We can do another series about all these words, but I literally today only want to focus on two words, and they're the words everlasting father. Everybody say everlasting father. When you look at the words everlasting father, Isaiah offers this as one of the titles of the Messiah. And I'm going to get into it, and some of this is very basic, and we can wrap our heads around it, but let's start with the word everlasting. It means continuing on indefinitely. It means eternal. It means when you look at scripture and you see a verse that says, the Lord is the God of from everlasting to everlasting, it literally is describing that God is ever present in this life and also into eternity. He's the keeper and distributor of everlasting life. Paul reminded his disciples when it came to this life that Jesus came to give us in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if you're taking notes, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things are gone and behold, all things have become new. It's the picture of life that God has given us through the work of Christ on the cross. And that's part of understanding who God is in giving us everlasting life. John the disciple says in chapter one, as he's writing this letter about his experiences with Jesus, he says this in verses 12 and 13, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he has given the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. It's the idea we get when you hear things like being born again. It means not as spiritually or physically born into the world, but born spiritually, believing and receiving Christ into our lives. That's that picture of everlasting life. Two chapters later, John gives us the simple truth, as some of us have seen it over the years when you watch an NBA game and there used to be somebody back in the crowd with poster board that had a sign that said John 3.16. Anybody remember that? I remember NFL games, basketball games. If you'd watch them on TV, somebody would be in the crowd usually with a big rainbow wig with a John 3.16. The writer of that gospel, John, was saying, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and here it is again, that whoever believes in him will not perish, spend eternity apart from God, but have, here's a word, everlasting or eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God, who is from everlasting to everlasting, comes to offer us everlasting life through the work of a babe in a manger, as we see 
the story. So that's everlasting. But Isaiah, when he talked about everlasting, did not say everlasting king, did not say everlasting Lord, did not say everlasting God, although those are true, but everlasting father. And in the Old Testament, it wasn't incredibly common to understand this idea of God as a father, the idea of the Lord of heaven or Yahweh or different titles for God. But father was not a very common one. We throw that phrase around all the time in our culture, to be honest, the idea of a heavenly father. We pray the Lord's prayer, our father who art in heaven, which we know his name's not art. So if you're picking up on something there, a little heads up. Um, But our father is not an uncommon idea. For Jesus to come into the scene and, and part of the title for Isaiah to give him his everlasting father is this idea of a God who cares desperately for his children. And I want you to remember that. Again, we're going back to, wow, the watching kids at Christmas is amazing and thinking, I want that, I want to feel like that, I want that experience. And I'm trying to get us there because, as I said, the idea is, well, that's because in the right context, children's, bur- children's burdens are lighter. But, but here's the thing. In our context, what has God done to help us live with the joy of being his children? As I read before in John, it says that we are children of God, that he is our father. And that as a father, and I want you to remember this, he is our provider. He is our protector. He is our encourager. He is the shelter that we run to for refuge. He is the one who fills everything in every way. He is the God as our father who cares about us as his children. The picture I want you to understand is this. If we want the whimsy and joy and fun of a season, the beauty of it is we can walk it out each day as we invite him to carry our burdens, as we invite him to heal our wounds, as we invite him to work in our hearts in healing and forgiving and restoring and encouraging us. That's the nature of a father who cares about every single one of us. As I said last week, it doesn't mean we don't have tough times. It doesn't mean things don't happen that are overwhelming. But it does mean in the midst of whatever those circumstances are, our Father is there. And he refuses to walk away, even at times when it feels like he's distant. We have something better than the traditions of Christmas. We have an everlasting Father. I want to take you for a moment to 1 Corinthians 13, where we can understand the love of our Heavenly Father that we're challenged to receive in order that we can also then give it to others. And it's a poetic bunch of verses that get read in weddings all the time, and we, we you know, look at it, it's, it's on you know, things on our walls in our houses or whatever, but when it says love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not rejoice with evil, but rejoices in the truth. And then listen to this, and this is the love of our Heavenly Father. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Verse 8 says, love never fails. When we lean in in the, mo- in the moments where we feel like, I need my Father, I need my heavenly father. It literally says love never fails. 
And I would encourage you with that when I've said before, love never fails to bring comfort, to bring encouragement, to, to surround us. As Paul writes in Philippians 4, for you and I to not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's where so many stories, even in this room, of moments of life being overwhelming, of circumstances being terrible and tragic and hard and difficult, and yet people who can say, but even still there was a sense of peace. I was just reading Chuck Swindoll, who I've listened to since I was a brand new believer in Christ. Um, I used to deliver pizza for Godfathers back in the day. And uh, yeah, Sandy and I actually worked to Godfathers together way back when up in North Marysville. It's now Playa Bonita. Um, but that used to be a Godfathers. And I used to deliver pizza and I would listen to sermons on the radio all the time. And Chuck Swindoll was one of those that was always on at 7 p.m. So I'm driving around delivering pizza, listening to Chuck Swindoll. I happened to stumble upon uh, Chuck Swindoll a couple days ago in, in a book going over those verses. And you know what he said? And I want you to hear this. He says, as a pastor, I'm not one to throw out guarantees all the time. I realize how life works and I'm practical, but here's what he said. And in about three pages, he walked through Philippians 4, verses 4 through 8, and he said this. Look, he said, there's never been a time in my life where when I applied those verses specifically to overwhelming situations that I haven't found peace, not one time. And I love that he says it bold enough because as you take on some of those steps, that's where we find there's a peace that passes understanding because there's a God who's our everlasting father that cares desperately and refuses to walk away even when for us things don't make sense. Is anybody else grateful for that besides me today? And so I want us to understand when it talks about love never fails. And then fast forward to verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I try to be the best dad I can be and love my kiddos. And my daughter's literally walking down the aisle right now when I say this. So hi, kiddo. I love you lots. Not to embarrass you or anything. I, I try to love my kids the best that I can and, and help them understand how much I care and that in any moment there are times where when they're going through different stuff, I would love to swap my situation for theirs. Or I'd love to just help lighten that burden where they feel sick and miserable. It's like, I would rather be sick so you don't have to be so you can enjoy life. And, and I love how the love I have for my kids pales in comparison to God's love for us. And I want you to understand that today. Please believe me when I say the love that any one of us would have for any one of our kids pales in comparison to God's love for us. In fact, and I mentioned it last week that Paul even tries to put words to like, if you could gather everyone together and write down all about God's love, we couldn't do it justice because how high and how far and how deep and wide is the love of God that it surpasses all understanding. And the beauty of it is that's the picture we see when we talk about for unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government be on his shoulders, he shall be called. And we go through those. That's a picture of God's work through the nature of Mary and Joseph and the virgin birth and a manger and, and the child growing up and, 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 and performing miracles and teaching the crowds and then going to the cross for your sin and my sin. It was all God's love in Christ that you and I can lean in and go, look, you have hurts. Look, there is 
pain. Look, there are circumstances, but when you have a God who cares so much as an everlasting father, he says, bring the burdens to me because I've already paid the price that you can be free. That's that picture. That's why I yell at you every Sunday like this. He is the everlasting father from here every day of our lives into eternity. One last picture that I want to help you see when we talk about his love. <clears throat> At the end of the Bible um, is, is a book that we call Revelation. And it's a tough one. Like you navigate through it and there's some tough stuff in there. Like, I don't understand. What does that mean? And what is that about? And what symbolism? And like, what in the world? But, but what you, you got to get is this. It wasn't just like some book written. Uh, it, what it is, is John, who wrote the gospel of John, was a disciple of Jesus. And, and at the end of, you know, as years go by, you look at the hi church history and you see that every one of the disciples, except for Judas, was, was killed for their faith, martyred for their faith in Jesus. John, they tried to boil him in oil and he survived. And, and yet persecution continued to the point where he was exiled to an island of Patmos for the rest of his life. While he's on that island, God gives him this picture of, of, of things, of future, and, and so he writes it down. And that's where what we have, the, we call it like the book of Revelation, the Bible, it's literally him writing down what God had shown him about end times and all these details. And again, there's all kinds of debate about, well, what does that mean? And so, but I want you to notice as you navigate towards the end of the book, in chapter 21, starting at verse 1, it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from, uh, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, the dwelling of, of God is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Listen to this. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this and I will be their God and they will be my children. The reason I bring that up when you, like the whole picture of it is simply this idea that it's not just that God says, I'll be with you every day. Remember, everlasting is into the future. It's understanding that, that God says in the end of all things in the world where burdens and tough and challenging and whatever, we're not meant to be here forever. This is not our home. There's an eternity that he's gone to prepare for us. And we hold on to that because he says in the old order of things where there's brokenness and separation and mourning and grief and crying and pain, that's the old way in the world that we currently reside in and we're familiar with those words. But he says, don't, don't give up hope that there's something coming that is so much better. And I will be their God and they will be my children.
all I can say is, is trust me. That God is a great heavenly father. It's not a picture of everything being always perfect. But it is this idea, and, and listen, I'm almost done here. He wants to make a trade with you. He wants to make a trade your hurts and your pains and your disappointments. And he wants you to bring all of those things to him. And when I say bring to him, what do I mean by that? I mean literally when you spend time alone at some point, even today, I would challenge you to do this. To get alone and go, God, here's what I'm frustrated by. Here's what I'm overwhelmed by. Here's where fear grips me. Here's where I'm stuck in life. Here's where I'm bitter. Here's what, whatever it is. Here I am, God. For you to stop and go, here it is. Lord, would, would you help me? Would you carry that for me? Because Hebrews talks about how we have a great high priest who isn't unable to sympathize who went through all kinds of things as we do. It's that reminder of a God who cares as an everlasting father for every single one of us. Trade the pains and hurts and disappointments for life, for hope, <clears throat> for whimsy. That instead of you and I wishing we could be nine again, or the biggest stress is how to get the chain back on our bike, and instead realizing that as his kids, he's reminding us every single day, I got this. I am your dad. I do care. And it's you learning to lean into that trusting that even at times when things aren't as you think they should be, to go, God, I don't get it. Father, I don't understand, but I'm choosing to lean in and trust you. And that's where you learn to find life. It's a little out of order today because I, I kind of spilled the beans last week, I suppose, when I talked about that hymn, The Love of God. But Jordan and, and Heather, my wife, are going um, to come up and, and they're going to sing. And what I want to do is I'm going to pray and then they're just going to lead us in that song. But here's my hope, that this isn't just like a moment in a gathering and kind of do whatever when we leave, but literally this becomes you leaning in to opening up your heart to God as your heavenly father. Making an invitation that, that even as the words are sung and they'll be on the screen and you can think about them, but that God's love literally, I'm telling you, I'm praying this, that God's love would literally flood your heart. That God's love would literally begin to lighten burdens that you're not on your own. You're not meant to carry them on your own. They're not, Jesus says, bring them to me. Because he's the one who said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, my burden is light. Why can kids enjoy Christmas with a joy and a sense of fun and whimsy? Because they don't carry the same burdens as we do, right? But wait a minute. My whole point in this message is this, that I get that we have things that go on and burdens that happen and, and, and stuff that stresses us out. But if we're living the way we're supposed to be with God as our everlasting father, doesn't he carry those? Aren't we invited to bring those to him? And as we do that, shouldn't that lighten our burden that we can literally have a certain joy that can't always be explained? That's how that's supposed to work. And Father, today, even as we sing it in a few moments, that's my prayer that this becomes an invitation for every single person in this room to realize that you are our everlasting Father.
and understanding the whole story of the manger to the cross, understanding the whole story of, of your love for us and redemption and salvation and your love, God, that it would wake us up to you being an incredible Heavenly Father in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.